Hello and welcome into Winging It, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, Annie Finberg, as always, joined by the now retired number 15, Mr. Vince Carter. Yes, I am for real retired <laughs> and I'm in the house. He's real retired and he's sitting in the house. And we are so excited to be joined by sports journalist, writer, TV host, and our fellow podcaster, Jamel Hill. Hey, thanks guys for having me. Yeah, Vince, you, you're you really retired. Do, do you have like an AARP? Do you have an AARP card yet? Do you have any retirement <laughs> no. benefits? I need no? I need a couple of um, years and then I'll look into that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're that no. quote unquote old, but, but for um, the business, I get it. But you for know, the but business, you're still a very young man. <laughs> I am. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to stay young as possible outside of the, you know. The grays? Uh, I saw him. It's okay. <laughs> Just no, I'm like, hi- I, hey, I'm highlighting these things now. I don't care. Yeah, all right. All That's right, man. You at yeah. the age now, like, who cares, right? Who cares? Exactly. Yeah. And we saw you last night, Vince. Like we talked about, you were on TV, on TNT, killing it in the suit game. Suit game was strong. Appreciate it. Looking um, sharp, well, as always. It's that life after basketball. Just, you know, I enjoy I enjoy the TV uh, aspect of it and talking the game, still teaching the game. So just trying to get as many reps as possible before I'm official somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now that's kind of funny though, because um I don't know if you would have been a player that I would have said would have loved to jump into television. So I, I imagine have you liked it more than you thought you would? Uh yeah, I, I did Sportscaster U many, many years ago. They're starting to run run together. And it was just some I enjoyed talking about the game and teaching the game, like I said, but um after Sportscaster U and just learning all aspects of it, I was just like, this is it. I, I enjoyed it. I wanted more. I wanted more. I wanted more. And, and I've been doing it ever since and just getting reps. And you see me at the finals working, I, I mean, sideline reporting, just all, all of that. And it just it's been great. So now it's like the reality is, you know, now you're, you're sitting and negotiating meeting about <laughs> a real deal. <laughs> like, this is insane. Now you're actually retired instead of just thinking about it. Now you got to sign those contracts. Nah, yeah, it's, it, it used to be like, yeah, you know, we'd love to have you, you know, when you have time, do a couple of segments. Now it's like, yeah, so uh, how many days again? <laughs> those oh, usage man. days, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we're happy to have you on this side of things now, Vince, full time. Um, but let's talk about our guest, another full time journalist. She is currently a writer for The Atlantic. I want to ask you, Jamal, just what it's been like for you these past couple of months, um, you know, not only being a reporter, but being, you know, a female in sports and just what that's been like to be able to cover it on your side for your podcast. And I want to talk about your new show that's coming out as well. I'm older than I look. So I've been I've been in this game for a minute. My first professional year of journalism was 1997. And I, my first job uh, out of college was at the News and Observer in Raleigh. And there was a young man named Vince Carter, who was a pretty big deal down there playing for the Tar Heels. And Vince, let me tell you, I used to get into so many arguments with my colleagues and with just, you know, people in sports. That's what we do. We argue. Um, We have barroom discussions all the time about who was better. You or Antoine Jameson, who Antoine Jameson was a hell of a player. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. this is no knock to him at all. National Mm -hmm. player of the year. You know, it was you, it was what, uh, Shaman, it was like, you guys were, Mactar, uh, yeah. you guys were a squad, yeah. like, mm-hmm. for real. Um, and 
you know, the angels of Keith Van Horn, like shined upon <laughs> when you guys play Utah. I know I hate to bring that up, but so Vince is a great player. And actually my favorite place to hang out was in Chapel Hill when I lived in Raleigh. Uh, I used to live by NC State. So I lived off Western Boulevard by mm-hmm. NC State. And, mm-hmm. uh, but Chapel Hill had a Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes, right? they did. Then it was, it was, we called it BW3s. That's BW3. how old we are. Yeah, we called yeah. it BW3s because yeah, exactly. the name used to be Buffalo Wild Wings and WEC. I know you're like, where's this all going? It's right. education, exactly. people. Don't worry about I it. I live right it. across the street, by the way. You lived across the street from BW3s? Granville Towers from BW3. No way. Okay, I so. I walked right across the street every day. So what was the, what was that main street it was off of, uh, BW3? Uh, Franklin. Franklin. All right. So yeah. every Tuesday. I know, right? Exactly. It's like oh, you, the all these still, cities I've been in. Exactly. He said, but everybody knows that on Tuesday nights, because then I don't know what the young people pay now with his Tuesday night free, like Tuesday night, um, not free night, but Tuesday night cheap night for wings. Like it was, I believe it was still 10 cents then, right? It's 10 cent wings on Tuesday nights. So BW3s in Chapel Hill used to be booming. Booming. Like that was the spot. Like straight up. That was oh, it. Man. So I saw Vince in there. I saw a whole bunch of people in oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah like, we all we all lived next door uh, at, okay, at Granville so Towers. That's yeah, so why I saw y'all in there. Yeah. 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 So uh, this is also when at the same time North Carolina football was actually good. Right, yep. Dre Bly, like all those yep. guys, <laughs> like it was that team was Oscar lo- Davenport. Oscar yeah, Davenport. That team was loaded, yeah. right? So North yeah. Carolina sports were just popping, right? So yeah. I was in Chapel Hill all the time, and so I got to see Vince at this point in in his college career, and people did not believe that he would be a better player than Antoine Jameson. This was like considered fact, and I was like, I'm sorry, he's six six. Have you seen the things he can leap over? Okay, I know we have a Superman, but like <laughs> literally, this dude can jump. Y- y'all haven't see, seen that. And, and I used to, I tell that story. I tell my story all the time about back then. I jumped higher back in like the high school, college days prior to the NBA. Which I need people to marinate on that. That's scary. which is insane. Like, how is that possible? You jumped over a seven one. <laughs> right, best in game duck of all time. Like everybody knows it, right? But at the time, in, in the 1997-1998 days, people literally did not believe that Vince Carter was going to be a star in the NBA. And so I got into so many arguments with my colleagues. They were like, Antoine Jameson, he's averages. Again, no shade to Antoine Jameson. I was like, yeah, but tell you what, mm, I ain't seen them design a play for him yet. I mean, <laughs> I was just kidding. Though. I was like, I was like, yo, that is Mr. Like his offensive rebounding, the scoop shot. Oh, he was killing him. And I would love looking at Antoine's shot chart because nothing would be five feet from the rim. <laughs> Not a thing. And if you go back and look at that Utah game that they played, Vince showed up. I'm not sure about his teammates. All good. Right? See, he see he won't say it, but I'll say it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> anyway, I had a good one. That's what got me. He had a good game. He had a great game. You're right. That's what got him there. He had a great game. And I was like, whatever. Yeah. All good. So <laughs> at any rate, I'm starting off my career then and it was like Raleigh is one of the best reporting experiences of my life because uh, not only getting an opportunity to cover North Carolina basketball, Duke basketball, football, all these other things that I covered. It was sort of that time in my life where I realized like, yo, this is for real. I can really do this. And I think 
you know, getting back to your original original question where I just rambled on about different memories just because I just want to talk about Raleigh. That's okay, I'm here for it. I love (laughs) it. Yeah, thank you. Um, So, uh, but the whole point is this, is that I think as a woman in this business, and, and you probably know this better than anything, is that there needs to be a sense of belonging. There needs to be something that tells you that I'm okay in this space. I belong in this space. I deserve to be in this space. And that Raleigh was the culmination of the self-esteem that had been building inside of me until then. I've been very lucky that I had some female mentors in the business before then. Uh, I had a a great run in college in terms of working for my college newspaper, having numerous internships. And so when I got to Raleigh and being around, you know, athletes like Vince, and the thing is we were all about the same age. So like, frankly, they didn't know any better to treat me differently because I was a woman, you know what I'm saying? Like they, there was not any of that. And I had a great experience covering these teams in that area. And it gave me the confidence to know that not only could I cover sports full time at, but covering it at a big time level is different, right? Because um, North Carolina national story, Duke, I mean, they had Trajan Langdon, they had a great squad too. Like it was a really high time for hoops in the triangle. And so because of that, you know, when I go on to jobs after that, it was like, oh, this is how the early confidence builds. So for me, the reason I'm able to do what I do now and do it with a lot of authority, a lot of, you know, as per the name of my podcast, being unbothered is because I've been at this a long time and every step of the way I've been able to infuse um, confidence and just a little bit of... um, you know, just being able to gain a lot of experience and savvy to the point where now that the things that might have bothered me at 23 don't bother me as much at age. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and the crazy thing about this, Annie, like she's saying, uh, covering the triangle, you know, NC State was pretty good as well, you know, yeah. so not to take it away from them, but Duke, as well as that, when we played each other, we were number one playing on uh, – they were number one when we played at their place and vice versa. Likewise. So it was just sports in general in the triangle, just in or just North Carolina in general was just some pretty good basketball. So I can imagine covering. It's not like he's like, oh, we got to go cover this boring game, you know, whatever. It's always going to be a big time, big Monday game or whatever because oh, of the talent no, around, you know. No question. I mean, and it wasn't just those sports, too, because like in football at the time, NC State had a fellow named Tory Holt. Right. And when I was there. Right. So it's like Tory was there. He was killing it. You know, you guys were there. Um, North Carolina, as you know, the women's soccer team was uh, a powerhouse <laughs> killing, killing and, it. And, like, and our field hockey as well. And that field hockey and, and yeah. women's basketball. Women's right? basketball. Yep. Yeah. Because when I when uh, the, the year I covered the team. Um, I was in, in Raleigh maybe about two years. They, they got a, a woman named Nikki Teasley who was the number one recruit. And that team, like, yeah, like, you yes, know about sir. Nikki. Like, it's like, cause she used to very play. Well. Yeah, because Teas used to play with y'all. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. Yes. I was about to say, she, she played pickup ball with us. She played pickup ball with y'all. And I remember Ed Coda was like, yo, that's the best. Ed Coda, like, for y'all who know about Ed Coda, like, Ed Coda was, was about, he was about that life, right? Like, this, yes. he was, he had incredible handle, very talented. And she used to play with him. And he was like, yo, that's the best handle I've ever seen. A dude said this about yes. her. Like, she was six one. She, it was incredible. And you're talking about a New York point guard in Ed who, you know, who 
you he know, knows, New York is handles. Yeah, yeah. He knows about it. So it was a it was a to Vince's point, like it was a really great time to be covering um, you know, sports in that area. And so because of that, when I got my next job covering college football and basketball, uh in Raleigh I was able to exercise all the insecurities, all the doubts, all those kind of things. And then by the time I, I moved on to my next gig, it was like I was I was ready. I was like, Yeah, it was it was good. I've never met anyone until I met Vince that has such a good memory. And now I think you're about like level with him, like pulling all these names out from 22 years ago. I can't even remember what I had for dinner oh, last oh, no, night. Don't, don't get it mistaken. My memory is totally shitty. So like, it's, 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 no, it's, it's, it's really awful. It seems like, pretty it, it good. Is. I just impressed you with that part. Ask yeah, me about something that happened in 2003. I'd be like, I don't even know. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That makes me feel a little bit better because my memory is horrible. But he's like, yeah, so uh, June 7th, 1998, I was, you know, chilling with my mom and like remembers everything. I'm like, what? Those, is- you, see, 98, you know, so you talk, we talk, we talk about good time. Like, I mean, great moments in my career, 2000. You know, the Olympics, you know, you talk about all of these things. So it's kind of easy to remember uh, things around those times. Like you said, you pick a random year, um, like 2005. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know who I was playing. It's a blur. Who I was playing for? I think I was in, with the Nets, maybe? Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> it's like, I was like, see? <laughs> but then someone will tell you the game. They'll be like, you know, Nets, Pistons. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I had 18. Yeah, yeah. And then I fouled out and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> anyway, it's impressive either way. Y'all both impressed me. Um, I want to talk about your new show. I just watched the teaser for it, and it looks so good. We just had Carrie on maybe a, a month or two ago. Um, she's amazing. She was so awesome, and she talked about you a good amount, too, so I can tell you guys are close, which is going to be amazing for the show. But talk to us about Disruptors and what we can expect to see. And how did that come about? Add that, too. Like, how, how did that come about? Because, I mean, I, you know... Was it random conversation? Like, we should do something. Like, how did that happen? So, number one, we changed the name of the show. It's not called Disruptors anymore. Um, Because I think what happened was like, uh, you know, we were working together. Things were going well with Vice. And then the name just got the communication staff wanted to put out like, hey, we are doing this thing. And we hadn't really worked through a show title yet. And so we threw a name out there. And then the more we thought about it, it didn't really work. So the name of the show is actually called Stick to Sports. Um, and it's a play on something I know you guys have heard Love about. Love it. Yeah. Yes. So yes. we actually are not sticking to sports. We're literally doing everything almost but sports. And so we, it's an ironic title, as they say. Um, but uh, to answer you guys' questions, the origin story was really uh, simple and Carrie deserves all the credit for it. Uh, I, you know, I was in my kind of universe just out here because uh, once I left ESPN, it's like I traded in one job for 25. And so <laughs> I was doing a lot of different things and Carrie was like, we should do something together. And every time we had been on social media together, IG lives, periscopes, it was always this fantastic response. And people were like, you guys should have a show together. You guys should do a show together. And it was great. I mean, but it was something that I had had in the back of my mind. And little did I know, Carrie had it at the front of her mind. So she called me, you know, one day we were just talking and she just was just like, we need to do this. And I was like, okay, cool. She's like, I'm showing up at your house with a camera crew. I'm like, all right. But she really did show up at my house with a camera crew. And she uh, she had hired a production company. Um, you know, she this is something she put all her own money into. She was like, we need to put something down about our chemistry. Because she was like, I'm telling you, it's a market for it. I was like, all right. So we sat there with a, a bottle of wine, which is 
you know, a performance enhancing drug for us, essentially. <laughs> and so we, we we sat there, we talked about a bunch of different topics. They got it on film and, uh, you know, Vice got, uh, you know, they, I think they, I, we had another mutual friend that had told them that we were trying to work on something. Word just got around and essentially they came to us and said, hey, we, we'd love to invest in the idea of your partnership. So it was very, it was intentional and organic at the same time. And Carrie deserves all the credit because she was the one that actually put it into motion. Uh, I was very busy and, uh, you know, unfortunately I didn't have the time, but she was like, no, I think this is something. And and it took off from there. So now we're going to be appearing, uh, you know, once a week, um, Wednesday nights on Vice and discussing sports, pop culture, news, politics, like everything. And this will be able to show the range we've always had. I know a lot of people are used to us being in the sports space, but we have so much more that we can offer. And so we want to show that respects honest conversation, um, can, uh, you know, candid interviews and, and of course, fun entertainment and information. Um, so that's kind of where we are with it right now. It's going to be premiering August 19th. And we're just really happy with everything we've been able to do. And Vice is such an ideal brand fit for us because, you know, we were coming from uh, ESPN. It's a little bit different sensibilities there, as as we all know. Is you know, this is network television. This is Disney on top of that. And we, there were some areas we couldn't quite go. And with Vice, it's a lot different. It's like you can go to all the areas. And in fact, in fact they have invented new areas in which you could go to. And so we felt like given where we were in our careers, and the type of conversations that we wanted to have, Vice was just honestly uh, ideal and uh, perfect fit for us. So with that being said, you probably you. So talking sports is kind of like, oh, yeah, here's five minutes of sports just to satisfy that. But we're going everywhere else right now. Oh, we don't basically. have to satisfy anything, you know, because we're no, also the executive producers of the show. But, but oh, understand that. Yeah. But understand this, though, is that the reason because some people have thought or theorized that like I would jump out of sports, right? But I won't. I'll never leave sports. And and that's because if you think about where our country is in this moment, there's not a lot of things we do together, especially during one of the most polarizing times in this nation. The one thing we do together is sports, is that you have, you know, different ethnicities, genders, all kinds of backgrounds that will come together to applaud or boo the same team. So sports has always had this ability to do that. And that's what makes it such a great entry point when you want to talk about social justice, uh, you know, misogyny, um, white privilege, racism, institutional racism, oppression. That's why it's a great entry point because you can get a broad audience. So sports is very much a part of what we want to do. And when you look at where these movements have sometimes started or where they've been furthered, it's been in sports. And so that's why the whole stick to sports concept is, um, while intellectually dishonest, because there's a lot of people who've been like, oh, I don't want sports and politics and sports and you know racial issues and all that, but they've always been there. They have never been immune to it. It's not like the rest of the world is operating in one place and sports is operating in a totally different place. Like they're all in the same place. But sports gives 
an opportunity, I think, to have a conversation that's maybe a little bit more listened to because the shared interest is your favorite team or your favorite athlete. Yeah. When when I watched the trailer and I thought stick to sports was maybe just like the theme around it, but I feel like you guys like, you know, both have so much more beyond sports to be talking about. You, you know, like I said, you go on CNN and you talk about politics and stuff. So I think it's really great for two women to be now talking, you know, moving from sports into other things. And and like you said, um, sports just unites everyone. And so I feel like if we can come together on the common ground of sports and then branch out from there, I think that, you know, will bring us all together, hopefully one day. But I agree. I've been doing some homeless outreach. And one thing that I found that's really easy to talk about is sports obviously, you know, and so if I don't know what to say to someone, I'm like, oh, do you watch the Atlanta Hawks? Or are you wearing an Eagles hat? Are you an Eagles fan? But I think it's just really beautiful how everyone knows about sports and everyone wants to talk about sports. So I love that you guys are using that to really anchor the show. So I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. That's how you gonna get everybody's attention. It's like, oh, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it is. And, and, you know, in general, we just not only reject the premise of, of, of sports just being this silo where it's only about results and championships and not saying those aren't important things, but you're dealing with athletes who have whole experiences that really reflect uh, some of the, not just problems in this nation, but some of the beauty of this nation too. So we would be wise to not stick to sports. I think that's when sports is at its best when we don't. Sports are finally back, and I've been taking in all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook app, and here's why. The app is easy to use, whether you're a seasoned better or new to wagering. You'll find what you're looking for in just a few taps. And once you win, FanDuel pays you out in as little as 24 hours. Best of all, FanDuel Sportsbook will let you place your first bet risk-free. Just place any bet you want and get up to $500 back if you don't win. If I was betting and a big better, I would place my bet right now on someone in the basketball world like the Phoenix Suns, who are playing extremely well right now. Uh, They're doing great things in the bubble. Seems like they have it figured out. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code WING so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code W-I-N-G. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. First online real money wager only. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for terms and restrictions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700 If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. 
Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make any changes to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash winging it to try a three-month supply of Nightly Defense for just $5. It's free to chat with a doctor and your first order is just $5. That's GetRoman.com slash winging it. Eligibility requirements and additional terms may apply. You are also working on a piece with Colin Kaepernick right now. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, something I never saw coming. And when I say that, I mean, you know, people understand when the announcement was actually made, Colin and I had only discussed this, my involvement in it for less than a day because he originally called me but not because he wanted to offer me an opportunity to, um, you know, be a part of his production staff, but because he was looking for a background insight um, and, uh, you know, detail about my experience at ESPN and Disney. And what still humbles me and what I will always take away from that is he called me because he knew that there was obviously a parting between ESPN. He didn't know what went into that or what happened. He saw that I was suspended and a lot of the fire I took after I criticized the president. And he wanted to be sure that he didn't do anything or that he, uh, his um, collabor- potential co- collaboration with them didn't undermine me in some way, which I found to be, frankly, astounding because, you know, Colin and I were friendly, but I would not say we were friends because, you know, every now and again we would talk, but it, it wasn't like, you know, this is somebody that I called or talked to on a regular basis. So for him to even have that consideration just kind of illuminates the type of character that he honestly has. And so he just, um, and, he, and also, you know, this is beneficial for him is that he's thinking about this, you know, mega deal with Disney and he wants to make sure that, on the other side of that table are people that he can trust and people that have his same values. And I was honest and fair. I mean, it's kind of like when you have worked somewhere and you know somebody and they call you and say, hey, what was it like working there? Like, what was that all about? You give them the real. Um, And I gave them the real. And it was like there were a lot of positive elements to a lot of things I did at ESPN. I mean, I worked there 12 years. It's the best job I've ever had, longest job I've ever had. But those last two years sucked. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like, they they were not great. I mean, and for a lot of reasons um, that had nothing to do with Donald Trump. And so, um, you know, I made sure that I gave the balance of that. Like, I thought, honestly, when he told me about a, what the collaboration might look like, I thought it was a really brilliant opportunity, not just for him, but because he desires to amplify black voices and put black people in as in, in as in an empowered position as possible he was going to get an opportunity to do something at Disney and ESPN that kind of hadn't been done and the benefit of that to me far outweighed 
whatever lingering awkwardness might be in my relationship with ESPN. And so um, that's essentially what I told him. And then he called me back after our, our initial conversations and said, hey, I got an even better idea. What do you think about coming on board and being a producer? And um, probably took me 0.5 seconds to be like, yes, I will do this. Because his story, look, look I mean, a lot of journalists, most of us, we got into this, not because we ever thought we'd make any money. It was the opposite. We expected to be poor pretty much the whole time because when I came out of college, the average salary for a journalist was $19,000. I was like, damn, I'd be better off at Red Lobster serving tables right now. But I was committed to this work because I love telling stories and I love getting at the truth. And I believe in accuracy and fairness and all these other things that I think makes journalism such a noble profession. None of us got into it for that. And so but we got into it also to be able to contextualize and to chronicle history, to be to write something and know that 10 years from now, somebody might read it and be like, oh, so that's what that was like. Oh, so that's what happened. Right. So I look at his story the same way. This is an opportunity to set the record straight for history because a lot of his message has been distorted. The narrative was stolen from him. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about who he is and what he stands for. And so as a working journalist, this is a very unique and exhilarating opportunity to put something into record that will be remembered forever. And so that's why it didn't take me any time to say, yeah, I mean, I don't, I I think things were in a good enough place for ESPN. The idea of collaborating with them was not going to be awful and it would be totally fine. And everything has been very smooth so far in the early going, but, um, this is a project that I think that's everybody, bigger than them. That's yeah, bigger than big, ESPN. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, that's, that's the perfect the way to say it. it, it yeah. is, that's the perfect way to say it. It's like it is bigger than them. This is something that people need to understand the gravity of what happened. So you, you say, obviously, you guys are going to tell Colin's story. I can't wait to see it because being on this side of the media, you know, you, you kind of believe what the media is telling you, right? And that's one thing I've kind of learned through all of this in the pandemic is that your favorite news channel isn't always right just because it's the one that you like to watch. Um, but how are you guys taking that storytelling, you know, with Colin and being able to tell his story and the truths behind it and not how the NFL or any media kind of skewed it to be negative? Well, I mean, you can't necessarily worry about sometimes even though it's an issue, you can't really worry about how people will put it into context or how they'll perceive it. Cause you'll be trying to make people happy, invisible people happy all day. Right. So I, I think the, the goal for everybody is just to tell the best story, to tell the right story, to tell the most accurate story. Like that's, that's all you can do. I'll, I find, um, especially as I've, I've grown older is that people sometimes are intent on misunderstanding. And you can't really do anything about the people who very intention is to misunderstand and to distort. So I don't waste a whole lot of energy on thinking about how I can make a story um, digestible for people who don't want to digest it. <laughs> so, Which is going to be. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, no, no, no. I mean, that, that that's really the bottom line is like if they if they don't want the truth, I'm not going to force feed it to them. They just want to be blissfully ignorant. And that's what that's what's going to make it interesting, because I feel like, you know, when you, you're talking and one of the things you said about, you know, trying to tell the story as accurately as possible. Well, come if it's accurate as possible, 
telling the story, they're going to be outside of those, those, like you said, who, who want to see it different. Now they're going to say, wait a minute. But no, I heard it. It was like this. I heard it. It was like this. But you heard it from one side. You never really heard it from the horse's mouth. So I think that's what's going to make this uh, film very interesting, documentary, uh, very interesting because I think now it's going to it's going to open that that dialogue once again, and it's going to leave you where you're like, wow, okay, I I thought it was like this, but I never really got to hear his side. I heard pieces. I heard by way of. I never heard it from the horse. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the part of it is that the fact that Colin, I mean, he has not talked in so long, that that is. Part of, to your point, what will what will definitely enrapture people is that they haven't heard him say it. And um, I think that's the part I'm most looking forward to, even though he has become an iconic figure. It's like Colin doesn't seek the attention and he's not trying to be the center of it either. But I do think that we've gotten to a point where People really want to hear from him. You know, he's inspired them so much. And to see how one gesture has overtaken sports, the gesture of kneeling has overtaken sports, is just a testament to kind of how people understand that what he did was right. And it was always right. So hearing it directly from him, I think, is going to have a much different impact on people than allowing the media to put it into context. And like you said, people are going to go back in five, 10 years and go, oh, oh, that's what he was saying or that's what he meant or that's why he did it. That's what that was all about. So I, I, I think it's great to tell, you know, his story, hearing it from him and his intentions and if there are any faults or all of the above. I think that it's going to it's going to really open a lot of eyes and ears. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. I also think. And I'm sure you know this, like America is listening right now. And, you know, probably not everyone, but like, you know, a good majority more than (laughs) they're listening. Sometimes we don't want to hear it, but we. Right. Right. But they're listening. And so I think now is such an important time to put something like this out, because I know a lot of people are looking for this kind of information or they're looking for these stories and they want to be educated, you know, like to hear these stories and hear them straight from him and and from people. It's going to be so valuable to our country and our community. I, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I love well, all your you. projects. My goodness. Appreciate that. Do you sleep? Do you ever sleep? Because you do like 90 million things. So. <laughs> you know, I, I've been wondering the same thing. It's like, <laughs> when am I actually going to get some rest? But, uh, you know, it it is, it's a good problem to have, as they say, first world problems is since the pandemic, um, you know, it's like my workload has really tripled. And uh, I'm thankful for that for sure. But it it is taxing, and um, as I, as the as of the taping of this particular podcast, I'm about to go on my first vacation of the year. <laughs> so, yeah, I needed to take a couple of days to recharge and and replenish, um, and just take a break because, you know, the thing about COVID now, there is more people who infringe on your time because they assume you have it because most of us are at home. And it, it, I, it's been fascinating to me to see how the new workplace culture has developed, which is somehow somebody told somebody that anytime, anywhere is a thing. And I'm like, no, but it's not a thing. All right. So like setting boundaries is very important, I think, during this time, because I like in the early going, I can't tell you all how many Saturday Zoom calls I had. And I'm like, 
Now, if we were in, quote unquote, the real world, like nobody would be like, hey, let's come to the office for a meeting on Saturday. And I think there's this assumption that because you're able to do things from the comfort of your own home, that is still not taxing. I say this as we're all on microphones in our own home, but like, no, that's not, it's not about taxing. It's about the fact that, especially now that people have kids to look after at home and a bunch of other responsibilities that have been heaped on, I am frankly stunned at the level of which people have no problem now proposing you meet at times or turn things in or whatever, meet these deadlines at times they would never have suggested before COVID. So I've had to be exceptionally careful about setting these boundaries. And I said a big one around this vacation is like, after you guys, I am not to be disturbed. <laughs> okay. It's, it, Come on it's now. Really you much, know, this is the new normal. Yeah. You know, the it, new normal is different now. Like, it I mean, it is. Gonna, it's very you different. You'd be watching games and see not one soul in the stands. You're seeing yeah. virtual fans now. Like, I mean, it's. Is that, is that weird for you to imagine. watch? Because I, I got to be Absolutely. honest. It, it is surreal to watch the fans not being there or not to, to watch the digital fans, I should say. But I have to be honest. It doesn't impact the broadcast. The broadcast is actually quietly better. I agree. It it's weird. It's like I I don't like I'm used to seeing the 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 sort of mental stimulation you get from seeing fans. Somebody might do something crazy, you know, seeing a kiss cam and all that other stuff. Like I get it, but gotta be honest, the broadcasting been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just like so. I think sometimes when you sit back and watch it, you like you feel like you're watching that. Uh, 10 a.m. AAU game, <laughs> uh, you know, when people not there yet, that right. kind of constellation bracket sometimes. That's the feel until you actually watch the content and listen to, obviously, the professionals do what they do. But uh, and at first, yeah, I mean, like we all, I was just like, I don't know how this is going to go. And then they said they're going to start pumping sound. And I'm like, oh, man, you're going to hear the, the fake crowd. Like, I mean, but it's it's like I said, it's it's bringing up the best in some of the athletes that we're watching right now in basketball. So I have a theory, Vince, and you as somebody who played the game at a high level for a long time can tell me if this theory is like total bullshit or if there's some truth to it. So I think because we are, the AAU thing is a perfect comparison because that's what it is. This is, this is what a, you know, a lot of parents I'm sure are getting triggered when they watch this. Cause they were like, Oh my God, I'm seeing my Friday and Saturday, like it's Saturday morning or Sunday morning or whatever playing out. Now it's the NBA. I actually think that because crowd and and traveling and all those other things are completely eliminated, it's actually going to lead to more parity in the games because like you don't have a home court advantage. They're like, who cares who has home court? Y'all play the same court. You don't have to worry. Right. You don't have to worry about, you know, travel weariness or is my hotel right? Like all those outside distractions that come with traveling Everybody on the road. Everybody has the same issue. Everybody <laughs> has the same issue. Like none of it is. And I honestly think, I wonder in my mind, even though in the NBA more so than any other sport, it's like best team always wins because you're playing a series of games. But I, I feel like we may see some, I don't know if upsets is the right word, but like we may see some a lot closer series than we normally would because of the environment. Am I wrong and, in thinking this? But you're right because we're seeing, for instance, like um, Phoenix Suns. That's a, a great example. 3-0 and in here, but one, they have nothing to lose, but you your focus is on one place. You don't have to worry about being in the Miami, New York, LA, Atlanta's, 
at 21, 23, 25, whatever. Yeah, because some, of the, some of the greatest going, road advantages have been eliminated. Like yes. Atlanta, Miami, like that right there. My, I'll right. say Atlanta, Miami, Toronto, not having Toronto, to go exactly. there as a, as a visiting it, team. Yeah, like, are yeah. you serious? Like, yeah, exactly. It, it, this is, they don't, I don't think people understand how much of an advantage that is when, uh, when, a yeah. team goes to like Atlanta. In, in my years, yeah, in my years in Toronto when we played in the playoffs, like that's what we were like. Hey, this is our advantage. We play on a Saturday <laughs> at twelve o'clock. We know, know. they were going to come come in hurting in the first quarter. So that, yeah, all of those things. And, and that's Annie. We talked about you when you asked me about this many many months ago about what could happen. The one thing I said is that you're going to get some guys who are used to finding their energy through the the fans in the crowd. Uh, building them up and, you know, if you would. And then you're going to find those guys who now are able to just lock in and be the great players that they have the potential to be, but there's no family, there's no nothing. It's just you focusing on your craft and you're getting the best potential out of that guy, and out of that player. And I felt like you're going to see some guys that's going to come out of this with a, 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 a fat pocket because of it, who might not have gotten paid in these last 15 games leading to the playoff because of whatever the pressures of the fans on the road, like you said, being in those cities where they're this like playing in Boston is <laughs> no joke. That's an advantage. Those fans are, you know, it's, it's different out there. So that all that's eliminated now. So they don't have to worry about that. So you get some of the guys that now your star is going to be stars, but now you're, I hate to say your others now can play the game and it's no pressure. You don't have mm. to worry about running on the court uh, in a Lakers-Celtic, you know, battle and worry about how the crowd noise. Because it's none of that now. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of guys get paid. Yeah. No, that's my feeling is like I think this is going to be – it's going to be a unique playoffs just because of the situation. But mm-hmm. I think some of the games – because, I mean, even though, you know, you've certainly had some teams that have separated themselves, I, I think the quality of the games have been – Really good. I was like, are you sure these guys yeah. have four months off? <laughs> right. I right. got to sworn they were playing pickup in, in private and just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> right. yeah. and, and, and I'm sure that did happen. But yeah, you look I'm at, sure like, it did you too. look at some of these teams that you like, did you think Brooklyn would win a game just because of how many guys are out? Did you think Phoenix would win a game? But and I said they have nothing to lose. So they're going, going to go out here and play free basketball, like carefree. And I I think they have a shot of getting in the eighth spot. I don't know if they'll make it, but they have a legitimate shot. They're three games out right now. As we're talking right now, they're three games out. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Right. <laughs> well, anyway. and I think, I mean, Devin Booker is definitely a star. He's not an other, but he's one of those people that, like what you're describing, is thriving in this environment. And someone said last night, I don't know if it was you guys on like the halftime show or one of the announcers, but this is the first time he's played meaningful basketball. Yeah, we said, yeah, that's what we said. He says meaningful basketball. There's no distraction. All he can he has to do is focus on this, this, and this opportunity. And you know, uh, Coach Monty Williams was like, yeah, you know, this is a great opportunity. These guys, we don't know what's going to happen. We just want guys to go out there and play. Now it's like, if we stay locked in, <laughs> we might get in that playoff spot, the playoff game, and get into the eighth spot. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how it happens. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to add a lot of juice to uh, this playoff season. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. I mean, this bubble yeah. just could not have gone better. Uh, Pop, I think today or yesterday was talking about how good of a job Adam Silver has done with this. And if only the leaders of our country and our <laughs> states could follow like what Adam Silver did, 
But it's, I mean, it's unbelievable that they continue weeks after weeks now. No one's testing positive. Like, clearly they're doing something right. But yeah, just I imagine, mean, real quick, guys, let's imagine what a, a bubble for an entire season next year. They're going to have to figure out how do you break that up, though? I mean, I know they, I'm sure they have, but like, how do you how do you break that up to make it worthwhile when people lose their minds? I'm sure after this, these guys are going to be damn near close to losing their mind. But just imagine an entire NBA season. Do you break it up into a month at a time where you get a break? I, I don't know. That's a great question because as we see already in sports, there's a decided, obvious difference between what has happening with leagues in the bubble versus out the bubble, right? Everybody who went in the bubble, the NBA, the NHL, um, the Women's Soccer League, the WNBA, they're all fine, right? The people who decided to go rogue or mm -hmm. just operate as normal, yeah. Major League Baseball, huge problems. We're now approaching football season. and and the, you see guys are backing out. Are, uh, yeah. They're mm -hmm. backing out. And not only that, at the college level, which is where, to yes. me, there's a gross injustice happening there. Because, you know, it's one thing if paid professionals decide to play or not play or the things that happen in their league. But you're talking about college athletes who are at the mercy of coaches and administration who all need them to play to help the economy that they built off their free labor. And so... Um, you know, you look at some of the situations where UConn deciding to cancel their entire football season. Uh, you have the players in the Pac-10, now the players in the Big Ten all speaking out. Because it's, it's one thing if you're going to attempt this, but you at least need your protocols to be there, and they're clearly not. And the situation at Colorado State where you have players alleging that they were told to keep quiet about showing any COVID symptoms because they don't want to disrupt this economy that's been built in college in college sports and college football in particular. So um, I just see for the teams that try to do this outside the bubble, uh, even though I know that theoretically, given the number of NFL players, the number of college football players it requires to make a team operate, that's a much harder scenario putting that inside a bubble than it is NBA players. I get the logistics, yep. but I think trying to have sports outside the bubble and traveling, I, it's just Stuff. you're courting disaster all the time. Yeah. And I have to give kudos to the to the to the young generation because they are utilizing their voice. They know their worth. They know the platform that on they're on that right now I can speak out and it's, it means something and I can be heard. And they're doing that in, in college sports right now or around the world. But I'm just saying we were talking about just college sports and these young athletes are saying no. Yeah, no, I mean, they, I, I, I think they're feeling empowered by this moment. They've certainly looked at at, at some of the um, guys in the professional leagues and saw how they've been able to use this moment to, to really strengthen their voice, amplify their voice, uplift their voice. And they know that now is the time. I mean, they have, I hope they're discovering, they have a lot of leverage, a lot. They've always had the leverage. And they can really bring this system to its knees if they stand together because... It's too much that's been built on their back. They can't survive without them. So you know you have them in this position. So you should exercise your will. And so, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm impressed by the fact that just this quickly, they've been able to to mobilize and, and mm -hmm. get um, hopefully some real change because um, I fear that them operating from the standpoint of like, we need to go and do this because we try to be professionals is that they're going to wind up setting themselves back, not understanding mm -hmm. that if you're good enough, you're good enough. The school right. doesn't make you. 
it doesn't make you. So, um, so hopefully we're about to see a real revolution happen at that level. Yeah. And it needs to happen with or without COVID. So I think this could be a good, like a lot of things that have happened right now, this could be a good stepping stone for massive change to come. Hopefully we'll see. That's crazy. Cause I was going to say, and what it's doing is kind of setting the stage for, uh, the whole should athletes be paid. And I know that's a fine line and it's gray areas and I get that. But right now with the power these young men and women are are, are, are having and, and showing and demanding, that's going to that's gonna come up now. Oh, it's got it, to. Everywhere. Everywhere. Look, it, you know. Honestly, I mean, if we just keeping it all the way real, these uh, it, having a conversation about athletes, uh, whether or not they should be paid is also a conversation about institutional racism. And that's why those two have to go. And also a conversation about COVID because part of the reason why they are vulnerable is because they have so many people who have been able to benefit off of their ability and to basically, you know, kind of fund this entire system. And so you can't have a conversation about COVID without having a conversation about paying athletes, without having a conversation about institutional racism. They all go together uh, because there's, I mean, we're literally, we're looking at the exploitation of black athletes because that's who we're talking about. And I saw a study that was released um, a short time ago about, you know, because people always say, oh, well, every player is not worth this and this and that and different arguments and all that. And and I get it, although I often like to tell them, like, it's really interesting how they want to have a conversation about fairness and equity. But when, you know, everybody willingly accepts the fact that, of course, Alabama is going to have a $55 million locker room and Ball State isn't. We already accept it. Like, there's already right. a difference. That's so understood, yep. Yeah, it's understood. Like, yes, if, if you go to Monmouth, you're not going to get the same things that they get you know, at other schools, mm-hmm. we already know that. And so suddenly when we talk about paying college athletes, they're like, oh, but it's all got to be fair. It's not fair right now. And y'all don't care. So it's like, it, it's, that's <laughs> that the way it works. That's called yeah. capitalism. Yeah. I thought y'all yeah. were all for that, right? So if you're mm-hmm. for capitalism and market forces, understand the people that bring in the most, have the most attention, popularity, that's what's going to happen, right? So anyway, I, I say all this to say, I saw the study that showed that, you know, um, that college athletes, generally speaking, in the revenue sports, that they leave college having been exploited for at least a million dollars, at least a million, at least a million. So somebody like you, Vince, probably way more than that. Right? I mean, to be especially, honest, especially during those times. Yeah, during those times. Like, <laughs> I gotta be honest. It's probably way more yeah. for you. Is that yeah. so? This whole idea that a scholarship covers it, and I love when they use the word free scholarship. It's like it's not free. They're actually working for it. They're one-year renewables, people. Only certain schools and certain, um, even certain states can can they be four years. It's not four-year scholarship. It's a one-year renewable. And it, that is something you work for. Um, because best believe, if you don't perform, if you don't show up, if you don't do what you're told uh, to do to, in order to fulfill your commitment to that team, a coach will cut you. He can release you and face no penalty <laughs> at all. So... Um, I'd be very curious as to see where this conversation about college sports and paying players mm-hmm. is a year from now. <laughs> That's a tough, it's a tough conversation, but it's like, in your opinion, do you, do you have a quick solution? Oh, easily. I mean, I, you know, I don't mean, I'm not a genius at all. I mean, just, it's just based off once you know the information, what the studies show is like, 
again, you people have to stop approaching it from a, everybody has to get the same. So last I checked, again, there's always this rampant backlash to the ideal of socialism. But they wanted in college sports, which is funny because they only wanted to try to disprove what is a bad theory, that you can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. Number one, and we've seen this start um, at a number of different states, start with allowing athletes, regardless of sport, to profit off their own likeness. That's where you start, right? Because then that's just about your ability in the marketplace. Sell your name, right? And Just like in the NBA. <laughs> like in the NBA. And we have seen that there are sports that have different niches that are very um, lucrative for athletes. I mean, one of those original cases was Jeremy Bloom at the University of Colorado. Guy's a champion skier, right? Olympian-type cat, right? Very easily able to profit off his name, even though he's in a sport that is not, at the college level, revenue-generating, but it's generating everywhere else. Imagine if you're a track star at any of these schools, Mm -hmm. or, you know, that's what you do. Being able to earn money, maybe in international track competitions or the fact that the track community knows who you are and would gladly pay for an autograph signing or gladly book you for a commercial because that's how it is. We see a number of college athletes all the time during their four years. They may be the best uh, and most popular player in that town, Iowa City's finest. But they may not have a professional future, but that doesn't mean they should be blocked from making money off their own name while they have that name. Especially so, locally, yep. Yeah, especially locally. So the idea that the walk-ons got to make as much as the star player, like, nah, that ain't how it worked anywhere, okay? So doesn't have to happen. And even when you get to women's sports, being able to make money off your likeness is huge. Imagine being a, 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 a women's basketball player at UConn. Marion Jones. Mary, yes, Marion, who was there when you were there. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about. Man, I mean, she was. Yes. A, a, she was somebody destined. Then they knew for Olympic greatness. She, you know, won a national title. Like they knew everybody in that area loved Marion Jones just because she, you know, uh, they felt nationally she might not be a draw, even though that didn't prove to be the case. It's like, yeah, but locally they can still make a lot of money. So it starts with the likeness, which we're seeing that fall. Then when it comes down to it, after that, we're talking about two sports. We're talking about college football and college basketball. I think even the volleyball player would tell you that they probably don't deserve to make as much as some of those sports that I mentioned. So I don't really anticipate there would be this widespread fight of like, oh, no, we got to, you know, if we're if we're doing this, we got to make as much as the star quarterback that plays for this team. They understand the inherent differences in their sport because they already live them. Okay. So I think then you just look at what the revenue generation is. Maybe you create an escrow accounts. Um, uh, you look at Jersey sales, you look at television money, a deal can be struck. A one way a deal can be struck is they got to allow college play. College players have to unionize because that's who all this comes through is like through unions, typically at the professional level, you unionize, you agree to certain terms and I think you figure it out. And I, I don't think it's as daunting as people actually think it is. There are tears to it. We're talking about people who very capably understood how to take the money. They can't capably understand how to share it. It's just they don't want to. I mean, the system works when they don't have to share. It's what it is. So yeah. I, I don't think it's as complicated as we think. I just think we've never been dedicated to the answer. And that's why the problem has been able to persist as much as it has. Um, two things. Number one, funny story. 
I'm a Colorado girl, so Jeremy Bloom was my first ever celebrity crush. What? I'll put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was the quarterback at CU when I was probably in middle school, maybe. Yeah. So just shout out to Jeremy Bloom. <laughs> uh, shout out to Jeremy Bloom, wherever you are. Right. He he has like a cool TV show now. It's like Shark Tank, but for the wilderness. I don't know. Clearly, I'm still a fan. Um, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, back to the cycle of COVID and racism and college sports is some of these guys who would want to sit out don't have the ability to sit out, right? Because that money is gone, I would assume, unless there's something I don't know, but that if they don't feel comfortable playing, they don't have a home to go to, or if they do, they don't have the resources to, you know, support themselves or whatever the case may be. So I think that it's, it's all encompassing and they have to come together, you know, to figure something out because some of the guys don't have the ability to just sit out because they don't feel comfortable playing. So No, I mean, it, it, in fact, I forget what school he played for. Uh, he tweeted that same thing. He was like, I stand with, uh, he's a Pac-12 athlete. He was like, I stand with these guys, but I can't afford to sit out because he's like, I got mouths to feed. I got people yeah. dependent on me. And uh, I know, but it, it, but it's also what everybody's facing in America. That's why we're in the situation that we're in and why the rest of the world doesn't want to play with us, right? Is because we unfortunately are part of a system where work is not optional. It's like, it's not optional. And there have been people, particularly our essential workers, um, that have been forced to have to go back to work in some not so safe circumstances or with there being a little bit of of uh, uncertainty about how they're going to do their jobs because they need to make money. And so what the college players experience is no different than what somebody who's a bartender experiences in this time, somebody who's a server, somebody who is in the medical profession. Like those are all professions where that's a choice they are unfortunately having to make between their safety and their ability to make money. I mean, we all on different levels are wagering with this choice because of the society that we live in. So if anything, I think um, recognizing that and giving voice to that helps us understand the condition in America and why for a developed nation, we have done the worst job at getting any handle on this virus. We are so behind. <laughs> it's like behind. I'm like, we're between we're behind and we're screwed. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like this is, <laughs> this is something. It's like, oh, we are just um and it, you know, the I think for most people, the hard part is like there's just no end in sight. Like the only end is it it's gotta be a vaccine. Cause I don't know if if, if we frankly right. have we don't have a bunch of Adam Silver running around and right. and making decisions and and being able to put people in a position that they can successfully deal with this virus, we don't. I mean, we have a a, a really a, a a lack of leadership at the top levels, and that's kind of why we're in this mess and having to deal with the aftermath. And just think, until that virus is is present, like there's uh, a lot of small businesses that start there who are hanging on, hoping this vaccine comes tomorrow. Yeah. Yesterday. Yep. And if this carries on and the way things are currently, it's just like you said, we're just we're screwed. Yeah. I mean, the small businesses, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's small businesses, it's boutique stores, it's these places that give neighborhoods and communities character. Yes. You know, and I just 
I shudder to, shudder to think what our world is going to look like when once we do come out of this at some point, because that characters may not be there. We may be looking at businesses, even whole industries that may be permanently extinct. Like I've thought, what's going to happen to the commercial real estate business? Because we're all working from home. And for that matter, once we've shown we can be productive from home, People are going to be like, still might be working from home. (laughs) Still might be working from home. People are going to be like, why do I need a 10,000 square foot facility? For what? They've been doing their jobs from home. So then you think about like how that might be impacted. It's like, we may be looking at people just permanently working from home now. And that's just how we do things. And that may change our society in ways we didn't anticipate. Giving people the the freedom to live. Yeah, I mean, but giving people the freedom to live where they want. No, no, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Live where they want. I mean, working from home, like it could have a drastic effect on what we used to know as the workplace. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we close, I want to ask you about your inter- some interviews you've done. I saw you interviewed Ellen Pompeo, which is so cool. I would have been very starstruck. Loved but her. It- is there anyone that you've interviewed that you've been like at a loss for words or nervous or just so excited to interview? Oh, I mean, excitement probably covers it. You know, I, I can't say, I guess this is the the benefit of being in the game as long as I have is, is you know, that that part of it kind of after a while, it, it dissipates. You know, it's like, I remember, and Vince, you may remember this, though. I don't think you, I think you had gone on then, but uh, I believe the Bulls came back to Chapel Hill to play an exhibition game when Jordan mm-hmm. was still playing. And um, I remember uh, having to cover that and just being like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the same locker room with Michael Sixers, Jordan. The yeah. The Sixers. Yes, they did. With Larry you see? Brown. Yeah. Look at that memory. <laughs> see? <laughs> I told you. Yes, it's I, like, I remember this. They played at the Dean Dome and it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of course, obviously, with, with considering Michael Jordan's. Uh, connection to the school that's not like so surprising but it was the idea that I was going to be in the same vicinity of Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and 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 this all-time great you know team Uh, and so maybe back then that was like oh you know that was sort of a thing but now I I guess um, you know maybe I I think I would be uh, like if I had sat down and interviewed Michelle Obama I would be nervous right um uh, maybe people like that is, it, but I can't, I'd be hard pressed to think about somebody in sports that would get that reaction. And the people I've sat down with the podcast has mostly been excitement just to hear about their story, their journey, um, you know, how they got to be where they were. Uh, I've had some really terrific, um, experiences. I mean, everybody from Ice Cube to Cat Williams, um, to Seth, Myers, um, being able to interview three of the presidential candidates, you know, uh, in the last year, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris uh, and Beto O'Rourke, that was, you know, a really big thrill. So one thing I've loved about having a podcast, I'm sure you guys uh, love it too, is that it lends itself to a different type of conversation than Mm -hmm. a six minute TV segment. Or even if you're doing you know, a, a 800 word article, like it's just different. It's that people sit down, they invest their time. You get a chance to get to know them. It's just a different level of intimacy, which is why I think, you know, podcasting has been so, uh, such a terrific course for me. So 
Really, yeah, the the list is is unfortunately too too long to name. But Ellen Pompeo definitely uh, one of my favorites. As I told her on my podcast, I watched Grey's Anatomy maybe like the first three seasons, and then it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And so um, I was writing, uh, I'm writing my memoir, and so I'm, I was in the process of turning him uh, or doing the draft for my manuscript. So I needed something that was easy to watch. That I didn't have to, you know, I, I like having the TV on, but something that I could go in and out of in terms of paying attention, right? Like background noise, but maybe a little more where I'm like, okay, I got to follow this storyline, but I don't have to pay rapt attention. So Grey's Anatomy became that. So I wrote my book to Grey's Anatomy as I explained it to her. And I think now I'm in season eight or season seven or eight or whatever. So I still got a, a little ways to go. I did not know until I was doing the research to prepare for our interview I didn't know that Patrick Dipsy wasn't on the show anymore. So I was like, yo, Derek's gone? Like, I, <laughs> they killed him? I, so I got a big spoiler alert. And she was like, yeah, he's been gone a while. And I was like, yeah, I'm a, <laughs> a little behind, you know? So, but she was really, really fantastic. That's a good show. They casted really well. Oh, they did. And, and the longevity of this show is just, is stunning. I mean, she's played the same character and only done this character for 15 years. That's remarkable but she getting a bag <laughs> yeah i always ask people who who played like uh, like mariska on on law and order uh, oh yes Somebody Mar- like that. mariska like, hargitay yes Har- yeah just just think about this like you played that same character for so long I, uh, do you feel like when you go home you still think you mariska or, or i mean you i'm sorry to. olivia uh, or Vincent, who? Olivia you, uh, yeah. yeah which one do, do are you you know sometimes i wonder and I, mean, I know some people say oh i could separate it so in my mind it's just like i mean because i guess they ask but I mean, I guess basketball is different because, but at the same time, it's like the adjustment period for doing this for so long, one way. Uh, and, and, and I think of the, every month that hits, I know what needs to be done every month. And, you know, and I know when I can just, if you would let my hair down because that's my time off. <laughs> yes. That's what I said. <laughs> um, you know, so, and I know in come September to June, how it, how I operate. Right now, come next September to June, I'm operating totally different. You, that you see would what I'm be saying? interesting. So, that would be exactly. interesting. So, yeah, I'm just you gonna I, have I'm always like, curious. What are, like what are you gonna oh, do? I'm, I'm be a mess, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna handle this. You know, it's it's easy. They asked used me to that the yesterday, routine, right? Right. They asked me yeah, exactly. They asked me that like um, one of the camera guys is like, "Yo, you know, are you good? Like, how how you handle?" I'm like, "It's fine. It's cool because in my mind, this would be summer league ish." That's what I'm looking on TV. Yeah, I see the starters and the star players, but I also look at TV and I don't see any fans in the stands. So I can equate summer league. Next year when now I'm in another, on the other side, if you would, and not lacing them up, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I really don't. And and uh, then, and that's why I always remind people like when I see you retire, D Wade. Yeah, in basketball years, you're. Yeah. I put old oh. in quotes because mm-hmm. God knows, Vince. It feels like you could have played another five years, right? But <laughs> in real life, you're young, yeah. so it's like you know you're retired from this one thing, but you still have another forty, fifty years to figure out what you're gonna do with your life. So it's almost like you're you right. go through two cycles, right? Which most of us like, I can write forever. I can be a journalist mm-hmm. forever, Facts. right? There's no end date on that. There's an end date on the thing that you love. And so you have mm-hmm. to almost find something else, which is kind of crazy. 
Man, my, my NBA career is legal. <laughs> I was just watching um, when Cam Reddish was talking to you about, and he said, like, you were playing when I was in the womb. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the most I've heard him talk also, which was impressive, but it's yeah. funny to hear the young guys talk to you and be like, I wasn't even born yet and you were already playing basketball. That's crazy. And I'm I'm better I'm better at it now. At first, like a couple of guys like me, I used to have your poster on my wall. M- meanwhile, I'm guarding this guy in the pick and roll or whatever. And and you know, of course, seeing Steph when I knew I, I played obviously with Dell and his dad and uh, you know, now Trey playing against his dad, uh, you know, back in the day. So it's just kinda it's 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 still weird, you know, but I'm I'm better with it. You know, because it's like, you know, Tim Hardaway, uh, Jr. I remember when he was, you know, because Tim and I were in the Olympics together. So, you know, it's just it's just so crazy to see these guys now. And, and but it, it's I'm, I'm better at it with it now, because now I look at it like, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I played with your daddy, too. <laughs> so I'm sure it, you like it. I used to bust your daddy's ass. Man, what you said. <laughs> uh and that is another edition of the Winging It podcast. Thank you so much to Jamel Hill for joining us. We had a great time. Don't forget to. Yes, leave us five stars. Much appreciated. And tell us how you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel like it, mention us at on Twitter. Let us know who you want to hear from. We'll try to get your favorite guest on our show. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>